one of the things that I was really lucky with is that my kids were a little bit older. And when you say to them, there's a global pandemic and we need a vaccine, and I've been asked to do something towards making that happen, they're of an age where they could understand. Even my five-year-old nephew would go to school and say, my auntie's making a vaccine so we don't have to be in bubbles at school. Now, not many jobs in my career. I don't think I'll ever have another job like it. But that level of purpose and understanding from everybody that this was an important thing to be doing made it easier to be working really long hours and perhaps be less present than I wanted to be at home. Welcome to the Big Careers Small Children podcast. My name is Verena Hefti. I believe that no one should have to choose between becoming a CEO and enjoying their young children. For far too long, brilliant people have found themselves stuck on the career ladder when they have children, which leads to gender inequality and the same stale, mostly male, middle-class people leading our organizations. We need to change this. And in fact, my hope is that many of you listening now to this podcast will progress to the most senior leadership roles possible, where you make decisions that make our world a better place for next generations and especially for the next generation of parents. Beyond the podcast, I am the CEO and founder of the Social Enterprise Leaders Plus. If you want support from brilliant like-minded peers, join events or find out about our world-class career development program, the Leaders Plus Fellowship Program, then sign up to our monthly newsletter on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. By 3rd of October, you can apply for our fellowship for ambitious working parents in the NHS. It's our first sector-specific fellowship program and also will open applications in 2023 for our cross-sector fellowship to support working parents who are ambitious in their careers. Today's podcast guest is Alice Khan, who is a pharmaceutical director at Candu Venture and has been named as one of the top 50 women in engineering in the UK. She shares with us what she learned from managing the vaccine rollout for AstraZeneca's COVID vaccine while balancing her family commitment and looking after herself. Enjoy the conversation. So very warm welcome, Alice, to the podcast. I'm delighted that you said yes. Let's start with you introducing yourself, who you are and who is in your family. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted as well. It's always good to talk about what I'm passionate about, which is, you know, working hard and making a difference. So I'm Alice, my husband, Chunkit, and I have been married nearly 20 years. We met at university doing mechanical engineering and we initially joined graduate schemes into different large organisations. And then eight years ago, we set up a business together, which I don't think we could have done straight from university. But having both had diverse experience working for big corporates, we could then bring what we'd learned and what we decided we definitely didn't want to do to our own business and how we you know, manage our team and, and run our business. So in our family, we've got Toby, who is 16. He's just finished his GCSEs, which is slightly mind-blowing, to be honest. I don't feel old enough to have a 16-year-old. And I think because I remember being 16 and finishing my GCSEs, it's it's quite different to, to younger milestones that you don't remember personally. And then we've also got Emily. She is 14 and going into year 10, so starting her GCSEs in September. 
we always wanted to encourage our children to be interested, to have an opinion and to sort of interact with our friends and family, which is great until their opinions differ from your own. So we have a lot of very interesting conversations around the dinner table now with, you know, they've got their opinions on the world and politics and, you know, all sorts of things. And it's really good. And they're educating us a lot about, you know, the the way the world is now and, and different attitudes towards things. Emily particularly wanted me to mention she is a raging feminist. Those are her words, not mine. And she's particularly interested in the fact that I would say I'm a feminist, maybe slightly less raging than her, although I can rage sometimes. And I'm really keen to support women wanting to work in whatever shape or form that takes. I've worked in in traditionally what's considered a man's world as an engineer all my career. I'm constantly up against um, sexism, misogyny, all sorts of things. And actually, now I'm in my 40s, I, I just don't tolerate it. I call it out. And one of my big things is educating other people and empowering them to call it out as well, even if it's not directed at them. And particularly in my career, it's been educating men that it's okay to call out other men if they're being sexist, because obviously it's not directed at other men. So I'm hoping that that, that is setting a good role model for our children that they can call out what they think is wrong in the world they can challenge people to think differently and and to kind of do better next time as it were but in a hopefully positive way it can be difficult sometimes to be positive when you just want to get angry so yes I would say our children are challenging us as much as we challenge them which is it's it's a different stage of life to when they were very little Mm, Um, but it's it's exciting Mm, that's something to look forward to my my eldest is six so this is still a way off but I think it will be really it sounds like it's uh, not easy but no definitely not easy (laughs) and I think that's that's the thing when you've got young children you sort of look to people who've got older children and you all you want them to say is it gets easier I would say it doesn't get easier it gets different the practical having to physically be with them and have your eyes on them at all times stops but when they're not in the house and they're out with their friends, then you're thinking, oh, where are they? Are they safe? You know, there's a different a different worry because um, I don't think the worry ever stops. And looking back, is there anything that you can do when you have children like I have, um, you know, small children that you can handle to prepare any foundations uh, that you think is really important to lay to be ready for that teenage um, age? I think... I think one of the things for me is maintaining that communication. I So I was in a corporate career. I joined AstraZeneca as a graduate engineer and I worked for them for 15 years. And in the end, I left because we, as a couple, couldn't be there enough for our children with the, the jobs that we've got. So um, Chunkit was working in Liverpool. We live in Macclesfield. So it's a fair commute. He was there going on site early he works in project management in the railway and it's you know it can get very stressful when you've got really clear deadlines and you know the trains have to keep running and you have to work in between them and we came to a decision that actually it was unsustainable to carry on I was effectively taking the kids to breakfast club going to work picking them up from after school club getting them to bed and then doing more work and actually I wasn't being the best wife the best mother or the best employee that I could be And I think one of the things we realised was if when they're young, you're not there, even if it's in the vicinity, then perhaps they don't 
feel they can just come to you and talk to you because we always found the time they wanted to talk was just before bed or you know the moment you've sat down to think right I'm done for the day they then want the conversation and so the thing that we felt was really important was being in the vicinity I suppose rather than being sort of hovering over them to ensure that they they then knew they could come and talk to us and that that we were there and we would listen so I think it's it's all about communication and the other thing we've always been really clear with our children is is setting expectations and boundaries and sticking to them and I can, I can remember one time Toby was he was misbehaving at a part of kids party um all the other children's mums were my friends and I said if you don't behave we're going home and then I thought oh, well I don't want to go home I'm here with my friends as much as you're here with your friends and actually he behaved and it was fine but we've I mean, I've been accused of being too strict, but actually now our children are very clear on this is what we expect of you. And if if you work within those expectations, everything will be easier than if you constantly ignore me or, you know, don't do as you're asked. And, and I think as they get older, you have to evolve the way that you do that. And certainly now it's become more of a, right, well, this is what I need you to do. I'm not going to tell you to do it now or to do it, in three hours time I need you to do it and I'm going to give you the responsibility of when you want to do it because I think children need to feel some level of control over what they're doing so yeah I think it, it, it's that kind of clear expectations I think I think helps them. Mm. Sorry for uh, venturing into the parenting advice area, which is not. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm not an not. expert, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 but um, I just felt I had to ask you because um, obviously, yeah, I, I feel like. I really agree with you that it, it is probably the relationship. And, and that's when I have interviewed a lot of people for the podcast generally. What people say is the relationship that matters. And it seems to have very different approaches. So some yes. people seem to be quite comfortable with really, well, actually not being there and traveling, international travel, but they still manage to create that relationship that they can come. They know the child will come to them if there's a problem. And, and other, I think that's and the thing. It's knowing your yourself and knowing your children and finding what works for you as a family. And you're right; it, it looks completely different for for different families, different children, different parents. And and I think the one thing that I've realised is, so I I went to a girls' school till I was sixteen, and one of our teachers said to us as we were leaving all to go on to do our A levels, she said, "Just remember, the only irreversible decision in life is getting pregnant." And I've always lived by that until I got pregnant. And then I was like, oh, now I'm I'm in this for the long haul. And actually, it's trying to hold on to the fact that every decision you make, you can change it. And I think certainly for my children's generation, there isn't that expectation of a job for life. And once you're in a company, you kind of have to just keep going. I think there's more of a willingness to change things or to do things differently to what is expected because I think there's less of a kind of well this is the norm that you get a nine-to-five job now there are so many more people starting their own businesses there are more people doing things differently or working into for two different organizations or you know I think the the choice has changed massively and I think that's really good I think the only the only time it becomes difficult is when you don't know what it is you want to do. But at least in the current environment, you can start off on one track and then change and do and do something different, which I think is a real positive. Definitely. So you 
were headhunted to lead some of the AstraZeneca vaccine rollout. And I'm just in, we've just talked about being present and being there. Take us back to that time. What was work life like for you at the time? Okay, so just to kind of give a, a little bit of context to this. So I left AstraZeneca a few years before. My husband and I were running our business, Candy Ventures. It was doing really well. And the first week of the first lockdown, a lot of our clients said, do you know what, what you're providing for us is a bit of a nice to have. We do a lot of business improvement, process improvement, the kind of things that if your business is successful, you're focusing on how do we improve. But when lockdown hit, a lot of businesses were like, we just no idea what this is going to mean for us. And within that week, we lost probably 80% of our contracts, which was a really scary time. We've worked since we left uni. We've never had to claim any benefits. And suddenly we were facing not being able to pay the mortgage. And that is a terrifying place to be. And I, I don't know how people do it where they struggle every month to pay their bills. I just, and in the current environment, I, I just don't know how people keep going where they, they haven't got that certainty. So that was a real shock to the system. So I thought, well, I'm a pharmaceutical engineer by background. I've got a lot of experience. There must be something I can do. And I also had this feeling that anyone who was already in the industry and working was going to be flat out. So I thought, well, there's got to be some places where they're going to need somebody extra. So I got back in touch with my previous colleagues at AZ. They hadn't got anything on site. And then somebody said, there's this wonderful woman, Helen, who is an expert on LinkedIn. She does a five-day free challenge. Why don't you try it? Lots of people that I know have tried it when they're running their own businesses, and it seems to have helped get more clients. So I kind of went into it thinking, I actually, I need something to do. And why not? It's free. It's five days. You know, what's the worst that can happen? And quite a few people got in touch. I had some interesting offers of, oh, do you want to sell this sort of, I don't know, these sort of cosmetics? Or do you want to do this? Or, you know, lots of people got in touch. And I have to say the kindness and generosity of strangers was unbelievable. And then a guy got in touch and said, oh, I know most of the senior people in the pharmaceutical industry. It's not a massive industry in the UK. He said, I'm sure I can get you a job. And I was slightly sceptical. He didn't know me. Um, we had a couple of conversations. Anyway, I ended up going to work for Wockart, who are a, a small manufacturing organisation in Wrexham. Um, they were contracted by AstraZeneca to do the fill finish. And the fill finish Sorry. is effect. Yeah, I was just going to ask, effect. what is a fill finish? <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that, that aren't really keyed up on uh, how to make a vaccine, fill finish is effectively where you take the the bulk liquid. So for example, a bottle of Vimto, and I was doing the bit to dilute it and make it the right strength so that um, when it's injected into your arm, it does the right thing and it doesn't it doesn't kill you, but it's also effective. It's not quite as simple as making a glass of Vimto, however. So I, I wasn't convinced anything would come of it. Anyway, it then did happen and we were starting in, so it was June 2020, we had a production line and we worked really closely with AstraZeneca to effectively go from nothing from a blank sheet of paper we had a production line but we had no process to full-scale production in about five months and normally that process takes between five and ten years and I've been on another podcast called Engineering Matters talking about kind of the engineering side of it and all the technicalities and I'm sure your listeners aren't that interested in in the kind of technical stuff more the kind of how how did it work so I was working 
most days I was doing sort of 14 hours easily working weekends because there was such a focus on it in the news and so I would work on site in Rexton Monday Tuesday and I'd stay over one night so I could effectively do two long days I'd come home Tuesday I'd be at home Wednesday pretty much back-to-back calls all day back on site Thursday and then at home again on Friday and then picking up various bits over the weekend because we were working with people all over the all over the world because AstraZeneca are a massive global organization um so I think one of the things that I was really lucky with is that my kids were a little bit older and when you say to them there's a global pandemic and we need a vaccine and I've been asked to do something towards making that happen they're of an age where they could understand even my five-year-old nephew would go to school and say my auntie's making a vaccine so we don't have to be in bubbles at school now not many jobs in my career I don't think I'll ever have another job like it but that level of purpose and understanding from everybody that this was an important thing to be doing made it easier to be working really long hours and perhaps be less present than I wanted to be at home but actually my kids were both at high school at that point and were doing online lessons but then they'd you know they'd make lunch or they'd cook the dinner um we taught them to pour a gin and tonic a very important thing to teach teenagers to do so I was trying to be as present as I could be but I definitely had a level of understanding from my husband and my children that what I was doing was really important and for the short term kind of had to take priority and then since then I've worked on a second vaccine but that was mainly remote so looking to move production of it from some of the production from Sweden into the UK but that was remote and I set some quite clear boundaries for myself before I started that role based on my previous experience. And also, I think because I'd been working on the AstraZeneca vaccine, which was the one that was going into most people's arms, I kind of knew it was never going to be that stressful again because there was a lot of learning had been done on how do we upscale very quickly. The regulatory authorities were much more on board of, oh, actually, they were clearer on how we could do things more efficiently because we'd done it once. But I definitely, with the second role, definitely set some clear boundaries and I didn't need to work weekends. And the travel I did, I went up to um, their facility in Scotland, but only for a week rather than doing something every week. So I think one of my biggest learnings is when you start a new role, set some clear boundaries of, right, well, I'm not going to log on before eight o'clock and I'm not I'm definitely not going to log on after six o'clock you know that kind of that kind of approach and the only way I could do that was sort of contacting with my family to say this is how I'm going to work and teenagers very good at holding you to account you said you were going to do this so why aren't you doing it practically did you set the boundaries just for yourself or did you say it so you obviously told your teenagers did you tell your work how did you go about shifting I presume your work colleagues would expected you to always be there weekends evening and so on and now it sounds like you're not anymore how did that shift happen so I was I was on a year's contract working for Wockart so um, and we were all in it together I mean I've never had such a sense of purpose at work Um, and then after that I've then been working through our business but consulting for clients Um, so I've had I suppose I've had the luxury of when I've had a new contract with a new client, 
I've I've been very clear with them of this is when I'm available, this is when I'm not. Whereas with the vaccine, it was kind of everyone just needs to do as much as they can, as quick as they can, because we need people vaccinated so we can get out of this. So I think I think one of my biggest learnings is the person who I need to contract most clearly with is myself. It's very easy to think, oh, well, if I just log on for an hour and I just pick up these emails and I can, <clears throat> excuse me, I can do a bit more, then I'll be on top of it for tomorrow. But actually, I think that's a false economy. And scheduling in when you're not working is almost as important as scheduling in when you are. And that's something that it's, I don't get it right all the time. It's taken me a long time to get to that point. But I think there can be, I think I've put a lot of pressure on myself over the years to just do a bit more, just do a bit more and keep on top of it. I'm very conscientious. I'm, I would say I'm a recovering perfectionist. I know I can't be perfect in everything I do, but I, that's what I aspire to do. And I think that sometimes can be really detrimental to actually focusing on what's, what's really important and also what is good enough because good enough is usually more than enough well said i'm interested in the practicalities can you remember something recently where you have consciously made a decision to accept 80 percent, even though you really wanted it to be perfect yes so i I've recently had um had a contract working for a client and I was working away in Portsmouth. I was doing four nights a week in Portsmouth and then coming home. So that's a five hour drive each way. And I got to the point where I was going in to manage a team, put some structure in, get some processes in place because they'd been going through quite a significant organizational change. And actually it got to the point of there's so much to do if I do this first thing perfectly, I'll never get to the third, fourth, fifth thing on the list. I'll only do one or two things. So actually, I realise if, if I try and do this perfectly, the benefit to the business and to my client of doing that extra 20% was negligible. And the cost to me was, well, I won't then be able to deliver everything I want to do. And I think it's a case of, for me, I need to keep coming back to what am I trying to achieve? and. I think working on the vaccine really helped because we didn't have time to worry about the politics. I've never worked on a project where the collaboration between different organisations has been so good because normally there's that kind of contractual barrier of, oh, well, you're doing that. We're, we're not doing that. For the vaccine, it was much, much more collaborative. And so I think that's helped me sort of embed in my mind what we're really trying to achieve here, and it isn't I'm trying to navigate the politics and I'm trying to not upset anybody, it's this is the outcome we want, how can we get to the outcome and not worry too much about all of the bureaucracy that can go around that. And I think that's one thing that I've I've certainly had feedback more recently from clients to say that I'm quite good at getting to what are we trying to achieve? Why are we doing this? What value is it going to add? And an answer of, well, we've always done it like that, to me, isn't necessarily good enough. Mm. It can be the right answer, but I think sometimes you need to challenge people to think, why are we doing this? Is this actually getting us closer to where we want to go? Or is this just something we've always done that almost gets in the way of where we want to go? It is actually really interesting how purpose comes so strongly when you're through when you're talking. So it sounds like purpose was the key thing that made it okay to work absolutely unbelievable long hours and also purpose really helped in order to make you 
set those boundaries. And I think that's actually a really good reminder. So obviously, luckily, we don't have a pandemic all the time. Do you have any, yes, any <laughs> so far anyways, do you have any reflections or, or I guess any notes to self on what you're going to do going forward? Your career hopefully is going to span a few more decades. What are you going to do to make sure that you keep having that purpose in everything you do? So I think um, one of the things that I'm very lucky that my husband and I run our own business and therefore we can kind of set the direction, we can set the culture. Um, we have a fantastic team of seven and we have some very honest conversations and one of the things I'm really proud of in our business is that everybody has a voice. It doesn't matter that Chunkit and I and Bill, our business partner, have between us 60, 60 odd years of experience in big corporates and that some of our team have only been working, I don't know, five, six, ten years. Actually, often it's people who haven't got the corporate baggage, as I call it, who can, can ask the question, well, why on earth are we doing it this way? And suddenly it makes you step back and think, oh, actually, I don't know. And as our company has evolved and matured, one of the things we always look at when, when a new client gets in touch, whether we're recommended to people, we always try and see whether do, does their kind of purpose and their mission align with the way that we want to work and we are very people focused we have a very flexible working policy in that I don't really mind what time of day or night people work if it suits them to work at four in the morning you know knock yourself out I'm not going to do that although to be fair my my dad was ill for a few years he died before the pandemic started and actually sometimes I'd go home to give my mum a bit of respite and I'd be up with him in the night he just needed somebody there and I'd sit and work because I could. So we we measure our team on what they deliver, fulfilling the promises that they or we have made to our clients, not you need to be sat on that particular seat for eight hours on a Tuesday. So I think that's one of the things is we're very lucky that we're in control of that. But one of the things that I did when I was at AstraZeneca, as a, I'd, I'd probably been working five or six years, I had a mentor there. I was very lucky. You know, they had a really good scheme of of people mentoring um, junior engineers to support you getting towards chartership. And one of the things I was asked to do was to draw out a map of your career and include what had happened in your life outside of work as well. And then look at the moments where you felt like you were flying at work, you were loving it, feeling like you were fulfilling your potential. And for me, the the big import, the really important thing is to feel like I'm making a difference. I don't want to go to work and feel like I'm moving paper around the desk for no kind of real point. Anyway, so so I mapped out my career, and then it was I was asked to look at what are the common themes that come out of those roles where you've really felt like you've enjoyed it, where you could spend all day working and be like, oh my goodness, it's the end of the day, but not in a oh my God, I'm so stressed in a, I feel like I've made a difference today. And then look at those themes. And so for me, it was making a difference. And the other thing for me is supporting and developing people so they can realise how good they are. I've coached a lot of people towards engineering chargeship and I've never once had to tell them to go and get more experience or tell them to go and do things differently. All I've done is almost held up a mirror and said, do you realise you're really good at this and you've done that and you're really good at that? And so actually now when I'm looking at 
what do I want to do next? It's I need to feel like I'm making a difference and adding value in some way. And, you know, that could be in all sorts of fields and different things. But also there's got to be a really strong people element. I would far rather be a leader than be employed as a very technical engineer. I'm a good enough engineer. But if you want a really technical engineer, I'm not the right person for you. If you want a, an engineer who's got enough technical understanding, but is a great leader, that that's where I want to be. So I think you know that's something I would encourage people to do is to to look through your your working life, your home life. When are the moments you felt like you you really you're in flow and you're happy and doing what you feel you you should be doing? And how do you then get that in whatever role you're now in? Because it can be difficult in a big organisation to feel like you've got control over your role. However, there's always ways that you can go to your your line manager and say, I'm interested in doing a bit of this. Or you can volunteer to be involved in, I don't know, social committees at work or all sorts of things. And that also then comes back to you've always got a choice. You can always reverse the decision. And I think it can feel... I've been in positions where I've been very overwhelmed with my workload, feeling very stressed and taking that step back feels impossible. But actually, that's the way to then start to get out of it, I think. Mm, Very true. And we're coming to the towards the end of our time, unfortunately. It's been really thought-provoking, but I'm interested in your what you've taken from the experience of working in a very intense pressurized environment in terms of looking after yourself so did you do anything to look after yourself while you were doing the vaccine rollout or not and if yes are there practical things that you're doing now differently yeah so I think when I was in the vaccine rollout I I think I was so focused on we've got to get this delivered because I was on a weekly call with the government at five o'clock every day. They were saying, right, we're going to vaccinate this many people. And I'm thinking, oh, right. Well, maybe you're not because we haven't got that many as yet, you know, and and I've never been in a position where the news is basically telling people what I'm doing and then making me think, well, we we haven't quite got there yet. So I think we tended to do probably once a month as a management team, because it was in the days where you couldn't meet outside, you couldn't meet inside anywhere. <laughs> We'd go in and sit by a river and have a takeaway curry, socially distanced. I mean, it was looking back, it was bonkers, but it was the only way we could have some time together as a team to get to know each other as individuals rather than just be doing the kind of transactional work stuff. I don't think I looked after myself as much as I do now. I've realised that I'm a bit like a dog, really. I need a walk, I need some fresh air, and I definitely need some daylight. And I think that was one of the things that working in an office or in a production facility where there weren't many windows and it was in at you know six in the morning and I was home at eight, nine at night. Certainly, you know, in the winter months, that was really hard going. But I also think that setting boundaries around not just always working when you've got your own business it's very easy to think well there's always something else to do and there always is and there always will be so making a conscious effort to stop and I think as a business we are quite good one of our kind of golden rules is we always go out for a walk at lunchtime and Bill won't mind me saying this so he joined us he'd been working in banking for years he used to always wear a suit he'd never leave his desk and the first sort of week he was with us, we're like, right, we're going out for a walk. And he's like, oh, I don't want to go out for lunch. 
it's like no we're going for a walk well i've got this, this stuff to do no we're going for a walk and actually that is part of our way of working so yeah i think looking after yourself is really important but when you're totally overwhelmed that can feel like it's going to just make things worse and actually i find walking i can't sit still and meditate but walking is a way i can almost let my thoughts take care of themselves and dissipate a bit rather than getting louder and more vicious in my head and and i think you know some of some of that takes time to work out what is it that's going to work for you some people may think oh actually I'll go and do some yoga. I'm, I'm not very good at that. I, I actually need the fresh air and the sunlight, I think, to to help me feel, right, okay, now I've now I've kind of sorted out the thoughts in my head, right, I can get on with what I'm doing or or I can, it's a, another good way of sort of mulling over an issue that I've got, whether that's, you know, with with home life or with work life. But somehow the, I don't know whether it's the rhythm of the of your feet or your breathing just really helps me. And then the other thing I do is my best friend and I, um, we live opposite sides of Macclesfield, but we meet on a Saturday morning and have done since the first lockdown. And every week, and we walk the same route every week, which a lot of people say is boring. But anyway, so we walk and we go up a hill and there is a small monument called White Nancy that you can see from quite a long way around Macclesfield. And you go up and you get the view across to Runcorn up to Manchester, you can see Jodrell Bank, a massive uh, telescope. And there's something about that couple of hours I spend with her every week. And she says the same. It's like a counselling session. I have no idea what we talk about, but it almost like we just work through stuff that's bothering us or we talk about random kind of stuff and and the walking and the fresh air. And there's a steep hill to get up. So actually we're then a bit out of breath. And it's almost like that has become my kind of absolute non-negotiable every week. The only reason we don't meet for a walk is because one of us is away. And we've been doing that since since you were allowed to meet people outside. So I think it was maybe June 2020. And we do it every week. So we've been up there in snow, in hail, in rain, in sun. We went up a couple of weeks ago and it was really hot. So we went up really early and it was still boiling. But again, it's that routine. And I think that's that's the other thing that I've I've taken from when I was on maternity leave with Toby and then again with Emily. One of the things that really helped me, because I struggled a bit with postnatal depression after Emily, was having something in the diary every week that I didn't have to arrange that I knew was just going to happen. So me and my antenatal group, we used to meet on a Monday. And it was a case of, right, we'll just meet on a Monday, 10 o'clock, somebody will be there. And you you just knew, no matter how horrific your night had been or, you know, how difficult things were, there was somebody else there who could listen and could potentially offer you some advice because they may have been through what you were struggling with or you could give them advice. But it was the fact that I didn't have to make an effort to organise it. And I think that's where I find routine has really helped that when you're then really struggling it's like well this I'm just doing this and you know sometimes things have been difficult and I've gone to meet Hannah and we've gone for a walk and you know we've been in tears or you know whatever it is but I haven't had to say I'm feeling really bad and I want to meet up because sometimes when you're struggling that effort is just too great so that's one thing that kind of has stuck with me since maternity leave that having something regular in the diary that you don't need to think about, you just turn up and do, is really helpful. 
Definitely. I was going to ask you for three practical tips that people can do to thrive in the eye of the stone, but it sounds like you've already <laughs> given that. So a book, a regular thing in your diary, and is there anything else? So assuming you don't have, you do generally not have, to, I don't know how much walking, it sounds like you did some walking during the pandemic, but let's yes, say you a don't little, have. <laughs> a, little, a little bit. I think the, the other thing I did was I tried to set aside maybe 15, 20 minutes every week to just reflect on the week and plan my next week. And actually that I found was something that would, would stop a lot of the worrying in my head. I'm I'm very good at worrying about things. And when you, you know, when you've got a lot of things to worry about at work or at home and juggling it all, I think it's very easy to be like, well, I can't, I can't possibly get control of all of this. But you know what? 15 minutes and just dumping everything out of your head onto a piece of paper and suddenly you can look at it and be like, well, actually, it's not as much as I thought. So that's something I keep doing to try and keep on top of the kind of ever-growing list of things to do or not to do or, you know, things that my kids need or, you know, particularly with summer holidays when the routine's a bit out of the window. It's almost like trying to just keep on top of the calendar of who's doing what, when and how. And so, yeah, that would be another thing is, is don't underestimate what 15 minutes of downloading things out of your brain can do. Because I think it's very easy to be like, well, I'm so overwhelmed. I need, I need at least a day to kind of sort all this out. And I, yes, a day, a day clear of doing nothing. So you can sort everything out would be great. But 15 minutes is enough to start that process and actually make a real difference how you feel. Mm. Excellent advice, Alice. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you've done with the vaccine. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you might also like episode 71, where I talk to Charles Jeevan about finding your inner drive. If this has been helpful in any way, please do join our newsletter for practical tips and insight on leadersplus.org.uk forward slash newsletter. And if you are someone who believes in our mission and is keen to support others, we'd love for you to get involved. On our website, leadersplus.org.uk, you can see an overview of upcoming events. And if you're very senior, you can apply to become a senior leader mentor. And if you are a parent with kids between the ages of zero and 11, definitely consider applying to join our award-winning fellowship program. In addition to the cross-sector fellowship, we are this autumn launching a version specifically for parents in the NHS who want to progress their careers. During the fellowship, you get access to inspirational role models who have experience of bringing up kids whilst progressing their careers. You'll get support for practical challenges such as workload or saying no, developing vision and making a plan for creating the career and family life that works for you. And you'll do all that in a really small group and get to know peers um, really well. It's all research-based. Look, we are looking at what causes career progression and how to use that in the context of you having young children. And there are some hardship fund spaces available for those of you in financially challenging circumstances who might be able to benefit from those. Thank you and have a lovely week.